0: everybody. Welcome back to Babu's Frickin' Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us in our galaxy far, far away. My name is Mike Kiadi ruby uh, This week, we're switching things up a bit with me in the pilot seat uh, as I have brought some very special guests to the podcast. But first, uh, as always, I'm joined by our usual MC, Grand Moff, Mark Valentine. Mark, the circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner now. I am the master.
1: Only a master of evil, Darth.
0: You got me there. Rounding us out is uh, none other than Brian Porkinsley. Brian, what's good, man? It's outrageous. It's unfair. Yes, and yet there will be no rank of master given today. Today's episode is a special edition indeed of Babu's Frickin' Podcast. We're joined by two esteemed gentlemen who are not only passionate Star Wars fans like uh, the three of us who you usually hear from, but these two fine, talented folks have actually written books within the Star Wars universe first Uh, Let me introduce Justin Acklin. Justin and I met 20 years ago uh, at Boston University, where we studied film and television and acted together on the stage, properly embarrassing ourselves uh, within the realm of musical theater. But since college, Justin has written and created comic books for all ages, including two middle-grade graphic novels in the Star Wars Clone Wars series. And he's also created the sci-fi action comic Shoot First, and the superhero graphic novel Hero House. Not to mention he's worked for a couple little companies like Toy Fair Magazine, where he was also the editor, another little company called Marvel, um, and maybe a comic book company you've heard of called Dark Horse Comics. Justin, welcome to the pod, man. It is great to see you.
2: It's fantastic to be here. It's great to see you, Mike, and great to meet you guys. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Awesome. And alongside uh, Justin, he has uh, brought with him uh, an esteemed friend and colleague, Mr. Alex Segura, who is an acclaimed, award-winning writer of novels, comic books, short stories, and podcasts. If you can write it, he can do it. He's also the author of Star Wars Poe Dameron Freefall and the Anthony Award-winning Pete Fernandez Mystery Series. Uh, Alex has also written a number of comic books, uh, most notably the superhero noir The Black Ghost, Uh, the YA music series, The Archies, and The Archies Meets Collection of Crossovers. He's also the co-creator of the Lethal Lit Crime YA podcast from uh, iHeartRadio, which was named one of the best podcasts of 2018 by The New York Times. And it's still awesome now. Go check it out. Thrilled to have you here. Oh,
3: glad to be here.
0: Gentlemen, we have so much that we want to dig into today. We have all of the things that you've written, all of the places in the Star Wars universe that you've been, but we would be remiss if we didn't start with the Book of Boba Fett trailer that dropped this past week. The title cards state that every galaxy has an underworld, um, and it looks as if our friends Boba and Fennec Shand are trying to unite it under the table, so to speak, uh, or as John Wick might say, guys, what do we think of our first glimpse of the Book of Boba Fett?
3: I'm ready. I mean, I love the, for me, the star Wars criminal underworld is something of great interest. something I explored a lot in Freefall, and, um, yeah, I, I have no
4: complaints yet. I'm, cool. I'm echo that. I'm very, very excited. I still don't think that the title of the book of Boba Fett has been fully explored. I think people all of a sudden think they know what they're going to get from this show. And I think there's a whole lot of surprises that are still coming. And I'm very excited to see some of the answers that we're going to have to get. And I think we'll get them early on, namely starting with the Sarlacc, if nothing else, yeah, uh, to, to but to I'm, I'm very, very excited for this show. December 29th cannot come soon enough.
1: Absolutely. To echo that sentiment, if that's what we got from the trailer, I'm so excited to see what we did not get yet because we were, we all remember when the Mando trailer dropped, we thought we had a pretty decent handle on what we were going to get from that series. And they had so many surprises in store, just in that first episode alone. So if that's what they were willing to show us, my mind is going to be blown at what we have yet to see thus far.
2: Yeah, I think I saw someone online say they wouldn't be surprised if everything that was in the trailer was from the first episode. And I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, um, I'm just really hoping that we get uh, some Timothy Oliphant out of this series. That's my, my fondest yes. wish. Yes. <laughs> that's my goal
3: for any television series.
1: Yes. Basically, yeah. I'm all for that. I'll even take
0: that Santa Clarita diet show. He's fantastic when he's trying to <laughs> stop true Barrymore from eating people.
1: That's that's good TV. Why did you have to break my heart that they they stopped that show at probably the most amazing point? We're not going to get a season four. What Just when he turns and he throws up that thing, it's like, that's it. We're never getting any more. Timmy, Timothy Oliphant as a zombie.
4: For me, he's always going to be Danny Cordray, the traveling salesman from The Office. That is always <laughs> who he's going to be for me, but... He was great in the Mandalorian, and you are correct. We need more and more of that.
0: Now, given given the fact that we only got a, a very short glimpse, and as you said, probably um, a very small window into the into the book of Boba Fett, was this what you guys were expecting? I'm I'm not sure that what they've they've hinted at was what I thought was coming. You know, I try to go into
3: these things. I mean. I try to not have any expectations. I just want to be surprised. I I think it's one of the few times even, you know, fandom, it's all about like, we have to get all the information all at once. And I kind of try to go in blind as much as I can, even as someone who's written in that universe. Like I want it to be, I want to have that wide eyed moment. So I was happy with it. I enjoyed it and I was, I I want more, but I I went went into it without really any kind of like checklist of what I needed to have.
2: Yeah, I think there's so mundane.
3: I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I just wanted to be surprised. I think there are certain expectations that
2: come along with Boba Fett, you know, that he's going to be a badass and all this stuff. And I think they had an interesting twist in the trailer where, you know, there's this moment where you think uh, he's going to kill the the crime lord who's mouthing off to him and, you know, it's going to be this badass moment. And he's just like, let's talk. And, you know, it would be funny if that was the tone of the entire series. That it's all just diplomacy and uh, and dialogue. But, the fact that they felt comfortable ending on that note, I think means that, you know, there's going to be a lot of surprises. It's going to be a, a difficult, uh, show to pin down. And and to Alex's point, you know, that's kind of what you want from, you know, entertainment these days when everything is so kind of telegraphed
0: ahead of time. Did, uh, do you guys think doing some, some hard time in the Sarlacc pit changed his tune? It, it kind of feels like he, uh, He's kind of mellowing. I'm, I'm I'm, wondering if we've got kind of a Michael Corleone vibe where he's like, you know what? I'm I'm going straight, and then eventually someone pulls me back in. No, you don't think so, Mark. I don't we think still, so. Uh, yeah. We still
4: don't have a ton in the past that says he wasn't always that way. Like, we do have the stuff in the Clone Wars when he was a teenager and stuff like that, but like grown-up Boba Fett chasing down Han Solo, like that, I stepped on your toes a little bit there, Mark. I apologize, but I don't know if we don't know that Boba always has been that way or not
1: well, I just put, put a gaffy stick in the man's hands and you can see what he can do. I mean, we've, you know, we've seen him do some work recently. So I, I think he's a, uh, speak softly and carry a big gaffy stick kind of guy, you know, to borrow a a phrase from history.
0: (laughs) Do we, uh, there've been a number of articles that have been making conjecture here that he's, he's setting out to do what, uh, our, our dear Darth Maul couldn't and actually try and unite the syndicates you think that uh, he's going to give it a shot and does he, does he end up taking out the five families by the end or um, is he truly going to rule the underworld before the rise of the first order?
1: If that's what we get from the book of Boba Fett, that we get a return of maybe Kira or Crimson Dawn and we see Darth Maul come back. That's what I'm, I'm hoping for. If I had a wish list, I'm hoping that the narrative of this is him taking on the syndicates and taking on the families trying to unify them all together into this new crime syndicate. That would be very cool. Um, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes. Again, like one of my wish list items is uh, a live action version of that scene that was cut from clone wars that I want to see him go toe to toe with Cad bean as far like, this is what I expected. This is what I expected from where we left off with the Mandalorian and him and Fennec basically taking uh job as chair, this is the narrative that I expected and I I think we're getting two seasons, right? We're guaranteed two seasons, of book of Boba Fett. Aren't, aren't we guaranteed an additional one at this point? uh, Or is it just one?
4: It could be a limited series. I don't think they've confirmed one way or the other. There's speculation. Um, Usually when there's smoke, there's fire. But when you talk about Crimson Dawn coming back, Darth Maul's off the table, man. Like they, I don't want them to bring back Darth Maul again after what happened in that wonderful battle in in the twin sons episode of rebels when obi-wan
0: finally took him down hashtag favorite lightsaber duels
1: yeah good call
0: that is certainly something we're going to keep a keen eye for in the coming weeks and at the same time um there's also rumors we're going to get an obi-wan trailer this coming week uh with the the glorious fabricated holiday called disney plus day um just like valentine's day you yeah, know,
1: you know, it's just Disney to sell. Yeah, it's just to sell stuff.
0: Hallmark holidays, Disney holidays. You know,
2: that reminds me. I need to pick up all of my uh, Disney Plus Day greeting cards and get
3: them in the mail. I'm already done with mine.
1: <laughs> we we haven't taken <laughs> oh, our showing
0: me up, Alex. <laughs>
1: yeah, we haven't taken our family portrait yet for Disney Plus Day. We're we are like decidedly behind.
0: Did 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 you bedazzle the remote control though?
1: Uh, your wait, your remote control isn't always bedazzled. Damn it, Mark, you're supposed to tell me about these things. <laughs> Sorry. So, December 29th book of
0: boba fett, perhaps this coming Friday, uh, November 11th, maybe we will get ourselves a little Obi-Wan action. But until then, we will just have to dream and without further ado, we want to dive in and talk to our guests about what it's like writing in the Star Wars universe. So, without further ado, Justin Alex, you know, we we very often done our own kind of fantasy writing here on the podcast where we ta- we we actually did an entire episode um, modeled after Marvel's what if where we asked what if Leia had been trained instead of Luke what if what if Anakin hadn't turned what if what if what if but you've actually had the the pleasure and privilege of creating Star Wars stories maybe a little uh, a little origin story would be helpful where for each of you guys where did your love of Star Wars come from and how did you get the opportunity to write for Star Wars
2: sure um i was basically born a Star Wars fan. Um, My first movie that I ever saw in theaters was uh, Return of the Jedi when I was like three years old. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of that love really came from my dad who was a big sci-fi fan um, and also a comic book creator. He um, worked for Marvel in the seventies as an artist uh, and did some, some Star Wars uh, pinup pieces that uh, I, I, have hanging on my wall. So it, you know, it's always been sort of in the, around and in the background. And, uh, you know, I grew up with the movies, with the toys and, and everything. And it was just always, uh, part of who I was. Um, and then, so basically what happened was, um, in the early 2010s, I was, uh, starting to write comic books. I was working on, uh creator-owned book that I created called uh, Shoot First with um, some editors at uh, Dark Horse Comics. And uh, one of them, uh, my friend uh, Dave Marshall, uh, reached out to me and he's like, Hey, I'm also the editor of uh, the, these Clone Wars digests that we do. Would you be interested in writing uh, one or two of these? And it's funny, like I had grown up, you know, reading comics, always wanting to write comics, wanting to write, you know, from Marvel or DC. But as much as I loved Star Wars, I never thought about writing for star Wars because it just seems so beyond anything that, you know, would ever be possible. (laughs) So, um, but I didn't hesitate to say, yes, I would love to do that. Um, so yeah, so I was able to write, um, two of the, uh, all ages clone wars digest It ended up being the last two of the clone wars digest. I shut the whole thing down uh, (laughs) because (laughs) while I was working on them, um, Disney bought, uh lucasfilm and then the license was transferred to marvel and idw um so they are not available in print anymore unfortunately um and you know (laughs) i'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later but you know that that means that they're actually fairly rare in the world of uh star wars collectibles but
3: can you get them digital digitally or
2: oh no oh interesting they're completely i mean. Legally, you cannot
1: get them digitally. Justin, speaking uh, speaking about that comic, why why did you why did you choose those characters that we did? Mike Mike sent us, you know, the the pages. They were beautiful. It was a really awesome story. But like, what what was it about uh, Previsla? What was it about Death Watch that just uh, appealed to you? Like, why why did that work its way into into your story? I just thought that was a really cool choice. And you know, we get a little dark saber action. It was really neat. What was it about that that just kind of called to you? Is for inspiration.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the interesting thing about, and I'm sure Alex can, can talk to this as well. Like when you're asked to write star Wars, you kind of like have this moment where you have to sit and think like, what is it about star Wars that I love? Like, what is it that I want to capture and tell in my own story? And, um, it's funny. I (laughs) I realized I must not be a big fan of, uh, space dogfights because I had absolutely no, uh, Spaceship battles in either of my two comics. Um, but basically, so I had this concept um, for the first co- the first of the digests I wrote, which is called uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Defenders of the Lost Temple. And the idea is that it's this uh, group of clones, uh, along with a Jedi and a Padawan, who are sent to guard, uh, find, and then guard this lost uh, Sith relic. And then, uh, like you said, um, they end up... Getting uh, coming under attack from Pre Visla and, and Death Watch, um, and basically, you know, I was doing my research at the time. I was watching Clone Wars episodes, um, and I happened upon, you know, the one of the episodes with Death Watch, and it just really seemed striking to me because one of the core ideas that I had that I zeroed in on is the idea that one of the clones at some point would ha- would pick up a lightsaber and would have kind of like a, a clumsy lightsaber battle, but that mental image of a clone with a lightsaber was like the first thing that I latched onto for the book. And then when I saw Previsla, I'm like, Oh, well you've got a clone with a lightsaber. What better opponent than a Mandalorian with a dark saber? <laughs> it just all came together from that. Um, and yeah, so that, that was really what brought them in and it, it, they ended up serving as really good foils to, uh, to the characters in that story.
1: I just awesome. want to, I, it's like you were ahead of your time. You were like very pre Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're like a visionary when it comes to that stuff because like we're no. we're like everyone geeked out about the dark saber making an appearance in Mandalorian and you're like, dude, I was like so ahead of this curve on this. Come on.
2: So I I, I disagree with that, but I've got a funny story about that. <laughs> um, so they uh, apparently they were not nearly as big in multimedia when I used them in the comic, and I didn't realize to what extent until um the Mandalorian, uh, they showed up last year, um, you know, with, uh, the dark saber, um, as well as, you know, some of the, the death watch characters. And then it turned out that the comic I wrote was the, their first appearance in comic books, um, you know, or I think any media outside of, uh, of the Clone Wars cartoon. So at that point, when the, when the show hit, it ended up briefly becoming like the hottest back issue that you could find. And there were copies going for like a thousand dollars online, which uh, in case you were wondering, did not enrich me at all because I <laughs> found, uh, a stack of the comics that I was outselling. selling. Um, but it was really cool to see people like rediscovering and, and reconnecting with uh, with that issue that, as I mentioned, just
4: can't That's find. Great. I'm going to have the same question for Alex later on, but Justin, when we're talking about you using Previsla. Bo-Katan, the first time they were shown anywhere except for the Clone Wars cartoons, did you? were you given a completely clean slate, or did you say, hey, I'd like to use Gar Saxon or somebody like that, and they said no for, for X, Y, and Z, or you did you have a full-blown, this is the story I want to tell, and you were allowed to tell it? So I
2: had a specific um, procedure, and I th- I'm very curious to hear how it changed for Alex, because... When I wrote, like I said, um, you know, it was at the time part of the expanded universe, right? Um, and you know, now is considered legends; it's not in canon anymore. Um, but when Alex wrote, I know that his book is considered canon, so I'm very curious how his process differed from mine. But basically, so I ended up submitting an outline of what I wanted to do to uh, Lucasfilm through my editor, um, and I think it was. Uh, Leland Chi, who was basically the the continuity keeper at the time, um, and they just you know they reviewed it and then they sent me back notes and the only note I had was um, the central the the main character of my book is a clone uh, called Glitch who is uh, a little off <laughs> from from other clones and basically thinks that he's uh, force sensitive and in my original outline. I think I had it that he was force sensitive and I got a note back from, from Lucasfilm and they said, just make it ambiguous. So you're not sure if he's force sensitive or not. So that was the, basically the only note I got back. And it's funny because I think that my continuity was maybe not like as super tight as, as it needed to be. Like I had uh death watch referring to, jango fed as a mandalorian and apparently like they don't consider him a mandalorian and all that stuff and it caused some uh confusion online or or you know uh some uh, debate but it was pretty low-key at that point but i i have to imagine for alex that the continuity <laughs> hoops were a little bit more complicated than that
1: uh, so you bring up a point we are um so the, the the three of us founded this as a, a non toxic space for the three of us to be fans and to really just enjoy Star Wars and consume Star Wars without being negative. I, I don't need to tell you two gentlemen that like you've seen the vitriol that's been thrown around specifically with like the sequel trilogy. Did either one of you experience any of that as as writers? Did you have any backlash or have any of that negativity from the community that you had to dodge? Whether and again, like a, as creators. You know, you you worked with with Lucasfilm closer than than any of these fanboys would. But did you see anyone who came after you either for Poe Dameron or uh, you know for for the graphic novel that you wrote to say, you know, like I didn't like this? Or did you experience any of that negativity firsthand?
3: I think the only real negativity was when the book was announced. People kind of started assuming what it was going to be about. And, you know, especially the connection between Poe being a spice runner and this idea that he'd, he'd willingly become a criminal. And then I think when people read the book and saw how it was nuanced and how it was executed, then it, it landed fine and it kind of fit in and it connected the dots between, um, this backstory that we learn about in, um, Rise of Skywalker and had it connect to all the other established Poe canon. And that was the big challenge of the book. Like, how do you connect these dots and make it make sense and stay true to Poe's character and tell a fun story? So, I think, and I think that's the challenge of any like shared universe stuff is that when you announce something, you can't get into the weeds. You can't, you don't want to spoil the whole story. Yeah. So, people are feeding off these little breadcrumbs of information and they're reacting to. Something that 's not the story, so then I think when people read the book and realized, oh, okay, that is Poe, and this makes sense, then it was a much much different uh feedback loop, i guess
1: nice
0: yeah justin any uh any any hater aid on yours
1: no,
2: unfortunately not, and i I think you know i I was probably benefited by the fact that I was writing books that were uh, pretty directly aimed at younger readers. Uh, They, I, they definitely were not like, you know, like my first star Wars comics or anything. They were all ages, but they were intended to be read by, you know, anyone from little kids, you know, on up. And so a lot of the feedback that I've gotten over the years has been from people who either are kids or encountered them as kids. Um, and it's all been very positive. So I feel lucky about that. So no, no
0: vitriolic 11 year olds. Nice. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I should say yeah, that whatever blowback crazy. I got was was pretty minimal compared to like the positive. Like this is awesome, this is happening. So
0: good, cool. awesome. So Alex, what's uh, what's what's your story, man? How did how did you find your love for Star Wars, and um, how did you find your way into writing for the universe?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think the thing with Star Wars for me is that it was always ever present. Like there was, I can't remember a time where I didn't think Star Wars was around. You know, as a kid. I had a lot, I had very vivid memories of, you know, Vader and Empire Strikes Back, the Ewoks and Jedi and, um, you know, the action figures and just, um, my parents weren't that into Star Wars, but you know, it I was a big comics kid and, and Star Wars was just part of that. And, um, it was such a different time too. I think, you know, people have it. So there's so much content now, but there was a time after the original trilogy where, there was nothing. I mean, you had the books, you had, you know, the expanded universe, but even then uh, when the prequels came out, it just seemed like you'd finally crossed the desert and reached that oasis of new like canon. So I remember, you know, doing the midnight viewing for Phantom Menace with my friends in college and just being so stoked about that. And, um, and, And then this kind of new golden age where, you know, we just see stuff happening all the time. And it's just this, this great multimedia empire. Um, It's really like our modern mythology in a lot of ways. It's, it's so hard to find anyone that doesn't know what star Wars is. And that's, that's an amazing accomplishment. It's um, you know, I think when we were kids, Justin, maybe we knew like a few kids in our class who weren't into star Wars, but now as adults, you can't really find people that don't know what it is, or at least have a passing understanding of it, or have like a favorite movie. It's like, it's this universal thing, which is amazing but in terms of writing Star Wars, um, my background in in prose is mostly as a crime writer. I had written a, this acclaimed PI series set in my hometown of Miami, and it had gotten some good buzz. And I had announced that the fifth book was going to be the end, and I was going to move on to do other, other things. Um, and Lucasfilm reached out to me, and it was such a vague email that I didn't really even know how to process it. They were like, would you want to do anything with Star Wars? And I was just like, what do they mean? Do they mean like work on something or like... I, I just said yes because that's no, what you I'm do. I'm,
1: I'm <laughs> yeah, good. yeah,
3: I'm good. I'm good. Um so I replied yes. And then then we kind of drilled down and and they explained they wanted a YA post story that was basically his origin, which is so wild to say that his, you know, canonical established origin is that book. And um so, you know, they wanted it, uh you know, they they explained like the broad strokes of what they wanted and and um similar to what Justin said, I had to write a pretty tight outline and run that through. But my big picture idea was, this is a crime novel in space. We're going to tell a Poe Dameron crime novel. I didn't really write it. When I write YA, I'm really just avoiding certain landmines, but I'm still writing it the way I would write an adult novel. You know, there's conflict, there's character development. I think with YA, um, the emotional beats are much sharper. You know, kids feel things in a much bigger way than we jaded adults do. So it had to feel like Poe's big emotions and Zori's big emotions were much stronger than the characters we saw in Rise of Skywalker or Poe in the, the, the new trilogy. Um, And I wanted to write a fun romp, like a a fun crime novel, and explore the underworld of Star Wars, and really, really show what the landscape was, kind of in the in the same in the same period we were talking about before. Like, what's the lay of the land, and who controls what, and you know, what's the role of the Spice Runners of Kijimi, and and things like that. So that was really fun for me, just as a crime writer and as someone who you know loves world building. And and they were Star Wars and Lucasfilm were very. Receptive to that. I, I think the freedom that they give you, I wasn't, you know, I had no sense of it. So I didn't, wasn't really expecting, I expected it to be much more, uh, much more about them just telling me what to do, which would have been fine too. Like it's their IP. Um, but it was really collaborative and it was a lot of, yeah, sure, you can introduce a new planet, introduce a new character. Like I introduced the whole crew that rides with Poe and, and Zori were characters that I got to create. And, um, uh, it was really fun. It was really neat to add to the canon in that way and, and add kind of the legacy, you know, Zori's background. And she's the most compelling character in very much like Boba Fett. You see her for a few minutes in the movie and you just want to know more. Yeah. And and so to have the opportunity to tell her story and showcase where she was from and what her conflicts were, um, that was really fun. So I it was really creatively fulfilling. You know, it's always different. And Justin can attest to this. It's different doing your own stuff than doing work for hire, but it's also a challenge. You're in, you have rules and you have to follow those rules and that's creative in its way too. Um,
4: so yeah, it was a blast. What is the, what does the timeline look like? Your approach to do this X amount of months ahead of the rise of Skywalker, the book dropped before the rise of Skywalker. Is that correct?
3: It dropped in August, so I think it was a few months I think Skywalker hit in December, so it was a few months later. Um, it was definitely the movie the movie I remember it because the movie was the last movie I saw in theaters before the pandemic or before like things went haywire and it was I have two young kids, so it 's not like I go to the movies all that much anyway, right. but I knew I had turned in the the manuscript at that point, and it was cool to watch the full movie and kind of see, oh, okay, my book fits in with this really well like this clicks into like you 're going to watch this movie. And then you're going to say, I want to find out what happened between Poe and Zori and the book is going to be right there. And it kind of, not, I'm not hyping myself up. I'm just saying that the opportunity was great, but, you well, know, that you know the two things could yeah, weave that's, in together.
1: That's what I really liked about this book, to be honest with you. It's a perfect companion piece to The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, cool. And it really gives you that much, that much needed piece that you just see the two of them in Kajimi, and there's a lot of awkwardness in The Rise of Skywalker. There's so much stuff that's left unsaid. So reading this book, I got like it augmented those moments in the film and it really rounded it out for me because there's so many unanswered questions about Zori. She's just so, she's so cool. And a lot of ways, I see a lot of Boba Fett that there's right. just a lot that's unsaid with her. She looks really badass in her brass helmet. And like, I love like little details like that, even finding how she came into that heirloom and how that was yeah. part of her... Those kind of things really just made, are making The Rise of Skywalker that much better for me. And I am, uh, of the three of us, I'm, I'm the highest on The Rise of Skywalker. I just want to say that. So, Throw that out there.
0: So what did you get in terms of kind of, I, coming from the advertising world, and I know you guys have done marketing as well, like, what was your brief for the book then? So if you're writing this book as they're in production for the movie, and then you're actually, like... Did you see it? Did you get any kind of advanced screening? Did they give you a screenplay? Did they like take you to a secret bunker and like hold you there and then tell you to leave things behind? Like, how were you able to actually know enough about Zori and our namesake Babu to be able to do what you needed to do when you were going to be handing in a manuscript the same time it hit screens? Yeah, I mean, I don't
3: want to get into like the exact particulars of what I got to see, but I mean, I got teed up pretty well enough based on the characters I had to write. Like I didn't know, I didn't know everything that was going to happen in the movie. I knew, I basically knew Poe's, the broad strokes of Poe's thread. And I knew, I knew what characters they wanted me to include. Like obviously the, the a big reason is to connect the origins of Poe and Zori. And so my big idea was, well, let's have those origins kind of run parallel, like, um, they run parallel and then there's a break where Zori chooses one path and Poe chooses another. And that's like the seismic moment that you see reflected in the movie. Um, but you know, it was a lot of background info on different characters. And then also I just did my own, a lot of research on Poe in particular, like the comics, you know, the great Charles soul comics, Greg Rucka did a lot of great prose stuff for Poe. And then just rewatching all the movies and all the stuff, like the prequel, pretty much everything just to get my head in the game. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's it's the best kind of homework to be able to just watch those movies and know that it's for something it was just fun um but the big thing for me was to make not just have the book feel like it's connecting the dots i wanted it to feel like if i just if somebody reads this book as its own thing i wanted it to feel complete like a meal and obviously if you read other stuff and you watch the movies and it's additive to other things like you know you read the comics and you see oh there's lulo and you see lulo in the Poe po novel in an earlier iteration, it's all tied together. So I really wanted to respect all the established Poe canon, but also make Freefall, which is his origin story, yeah. make sense and be its own cool thing.
1: Alex, I want to. Uh, oh. um, I just sorry, guys. I just want to ask you this too. So, like, one of my favorite parts of the of the book, like I just said, was filling in these moments that we don't get to see in The Rise of Skywalker. So, Rise of Skywalker, as we know, ends with Poe seemingly trying to rekindle that flame only to be rebuffed by Zori. Uh, do you see a future for the two of them? Like knowing their story so intimately, what would your uh, prediction be for the two of them in terms of a, a coupling?
3: I don't know. I mean, what one of the fun things about the book was that, and without spoiling anything, is it, it's not just a straight romance. It's not just about, you know, It's about two kids who have strong emotions and or have this strong bond, but it's not just purely about, you know, I like you, you like me. It's much more we are we've been through this fire together and we both have these very distant, disconnected feelings with our own families and our own place in the world. And that's how they bond. So I think that bond will will continue, whether it means they'll be romantically involved. I don't know. I'd love to write more in that space between when we first see Poe and Force Awakens and the end of Freefall, because I think there's a lot of fertile territory there. And, you know, it doesn't mean that when Freefall ends, that's the last time they see each other.
2: Yeah, I will say um, to me, the magic trick of Alex's book is that the main character is this kid who is a teenager and clearly a teenager and not, you know, a resistance hero. Um, by any means, but read so clearly as Poe. And I had Oscar Isaac's voice, you know, maybe pitched up a little bit in my head the whole time I was reading it. And I think you just did an incredible job of capturing.
3: Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, um, it was, it was definitely, it was about threading the needle, but also making the book be its own thing, which was hard. So I'm glad people seem to dig
4: it. One thing I liked about both of your projects is one was a graphic novel. I could see exactly what I was supposed to be seeing but because especially everything that took place on Kajimi and in Babu's shop, I could picture everything happening. I could see a younger Carrie Russell and a younger Oscar Isaac. I really enjoyed putting those together. Everything around Zori's mom, all that kind of stuff. Like it was all just really, really great storytelling. So I just want to say thank you for the wonderful book that you wrote. Um, I really, really enjoyed that story. Um, oh, thanks. I was very curious as to why. So they came to you. To to want to write something about Poe Dameron, um, and and it's more of an of an origin story for Zori. Did they did they want that as well, or were you able to kind of take that and run with it and give us more of this character that we all wanted to hear and see more of? Uh,
3: I mean, I think they, they definitely said they wanted Zori to be a part of it. I don't know if they said she needs to be the co-star. That's what I kind of wanted or pulled from the idea. I mean, in in terms of the book itself, Zori obviously posed my favorite character in the book, but Zori is up there. It's a tie. You know, it's about both of them. So if there was a co-headlining opportunity, it would be, be Poe and Zori, you know, free fall. But um, I found her... N- arc to be so interesting like the the weight of legacy that she has feels like she has to fulfill and this like very charismatic friend that she has that she's willing to sacrifice that legacy for that's that's heavy stuff there's a lot of emotional baggage and emotional weight to that and so i was really interested in that and they both you know i'm not spoiling anything obviously we know that they both go different ways but you know, that was a really interesting dynamic to explore. And and I wanted it to feel complicated because when you're a teenager, everything is complicated. It's like, you know, does this person like me? Do I like them? Like, what do these things mean? And obviously they have some romantic uh, moments, but it's also a lot about their bond as friends and, you know, just
4: being in this mess together. In my head, the elevator pitch for the book is, you were a spice runner? You were a stormtrooper? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
1: I have to say, and one of the the books in particular I really enjoyed was that Genesis story on Yavin 4, seeing like this angsty teenager that, I mean, at that point, the rebellion is so far from his mind. It's just this teenager dealing with the loss of his mother who was this, you know, uh, famous rebel. Her father uh his his father trying to come to grips with the loss of his wife and being a little bit emotionally checked out and really not giving Poe what he needed at that moment in his life and him really not knowing where to turn to and just being this rebellious kid and because of that just really like it it's the byproduct of him making really bad decisions that and I love that you even you you said this before you dealt with that story and and people had this preconceived notion of, of how he becomes a spice earner and have, and taking umbrage with it. The way that you worked that in was just for, in my opinion, it was a master stroke seeing how conflicted he was, even as it was happening, the dialogue going on in his head to say, I know that this is wrong and I know that I don't want to be a part of it, but now, Holy crap. Like I'm, I, I girl bossed a little too close to the sun I'm like too far in it at this point. I really enjoyed that. Just that inner monologue that he was having in the shuttle when he realizes like for the first time who they are, you know, he's thinking, Hey, I'm going to jump on the ship. I can fly. And then boom, it's revealed they're spice runners. And it's like, Oh no.
3: Yeah. It's too late at that point. And I think, yeah, thank you so much for saying that. I think, um, look, teenagers make bad choices and they make bad decisions based on emotion over logic. And I wanted to show that. And the challenge was, you want the character to feel enough like Poe that you can look at it and say, oh, that's kind of Poe. That's Poe before we meet him. And then by the end of the book, you can see, without spoiling anything, what is setting him on his path to become the Poe we see in The Force Awakens. So that, that was a challenge, you know, and like having this proto-teen Poe that hasn't experienced stuff yet to become the Poe we know. But putting him through that ringer in that, that's, that's what makes a good origin story. Like, yeah. what, are, what is the defining moment that then, coming out of that story, the character becomes the character we know. Like, and you just, know, Spider-Man needs to get bitten by the yeah. radioactive spider. He has to experience the loss of Uncle Ben. He's got to, like, come to his senses about his own responsibility. Like, those those hurdles have to happen in an origin.
1: And Justin said this, too. There were so many times that I could hear Oscar Isaac but there were so many things and decisions that were made that I, I was in going. That is, st- that's still so it's Poe because we still see so many of those flashes throughout the last Jedi and his impulsiveness. And the fact that he is, he's still like throughout the sequel trilogy, he's still trying to come to grips with like impulse control and giving into his emotions. There were so many times throughout Freefall that I kept going. That's that's Poe. That is so okay. Poe Dameron. I love that.
0: Uh, Alex, were, were you a Poe fan before going into this or did you become a Poe fan as a result of writing the story? Uh, I mean, yeah, if I had
3: to pick a sequel trilogy character that I was most aligned with, it would probably be Poe. So obviously the opportunity was really exciting, but I came to love him a lot more after you know, doing all the research and really just writing the adventure. And, and it was much more intense than I thought it would be when I kind of typed the end or when I was done with it. I was like, oh, I really want to keep hanging out with these people
1: are we going to keep hanging out with Poe after free fall? I hope so. Yeah. We do too. Yeah. (laughs) that would be cool. (laughs)
0: Uh, uh, Among the things that we would be remiss not to, not to talk about, we, we, before we, we dig into, uh, uh, into some of Justin's writing, you know, we, we, we have to ask being that you are on Babu's fricking podcast. Um, (laughs) how was it getting to run? I mean, you were writing for Babu before we had seen Babu. Like what, uh, what was it like delving into the psyche of Mr. Frick and you know how how fun was that for you like t- tell us about the experience with uh with our beloved namesake Mr. Babu Frick
3: It was interesting because I I don't think anyone really knew what a phenomenon Babu was going to be until obviously the movie came out and he he was a big he was a big part of the book what the kick I got the biggest kick I got was there's a moment I think early on where Zori and Poe are in some kind of firefight. And and uh, she mentions, she asks another Spice Runner, like, oh, how's, how's Babu? And and Poe notices that she, like, is very emotional and gets a little jealous. And obviously, if you've seen the movie and you're reading the book, you know who Babu is. So it's kind of a, a funny twist. But it was a blast. You know, I, I I think the challenge with with characters like Babu, who are just like phenomenons, is you want to get past the the not the joke, but get past the, the shtick, you know, the, the kind of the funny part. And you want to include like his, his mannerisms and and things like that, but you want to get to the heart of the character and why he's interesting. And he's like a mentor to, to Zori. And he really saves Poe at the end of the book. Like there's a moment where, you know, Poe is despondent and probably close to death. And, and if not for Babu it's, it's over. And so you have to make these characters matter and still,
4: honor what's established in terms of like what's engaging about them too that you get from the movies. Bobby just doesn't know what's missing from his from his store. I don't know what you're what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Justin, I did you have knowing that you wrote the final two comics within that within that realm and then Disney bought Lucasfilm, do you feel responsible for that four billion dollar price tag? <laughs> <laughs> I more feel like um that i kind
2: of like you know salted the earth i, I ruined it for all potential dark horse <laughs>
0: authors
4: who came it should have been me. Me. is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> you're the capper
0: yeah i was i was going to say that you dropped the mic rather than salted the earth but you know if you if yeah. you scorch this you know like dude yeah I'm good i'm taking this <laughs> whole bad boy down.
1: that's amazing i Listen. we we've never had carthaginian peace uh, mentioned on any podcast so that was like amazing as a former ancient history teacher we just got carthaginian peace and salted earth as part of the discussion and the narrative so like this is already my favorite podcast ever just throwing that I, out there
2: I, we did it i think the reason i feel that way is because it's a pattern in my life um you mentioned earlier that i used to be an editor for toy fair magazine um and actually the first time i wrote star wars uh we had a recurring feature in toy fair called twisted toy fair theater um that if you're not familiar with it, a bunch of the guys who used to do that went on to create Robot Chicken. So it's very similar. It was comics uh, done with toys. And we did many uh, Star Wars strips. And that was my first <laughs> experience with, uh, with writing Star Wars, and it, albeit in a very uh, unofficial manner. Um, but you know, Toy Fair, um, really briefly, it was my, my favorite magazine, kind of a dream job. And I always wanted to be an editor for Toy Fair magazine. And then I ended up also being the last editor for Toy Fair magazine because it also shut down <laughs> while I was running it. So I feel like I've got this uh, this touch.
3: So it's just the nature I, of the media. Don't feel bad.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> it also begs the question. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, when you
3: you did not kill Toy Fair, Justin. You know that. No.
2: <laughs> no. But <laughs> Alex, but I Alex and I, that, by the way, our, our origin story is that we worked together. Um, at Alex was at Wizard magazine, which was the sixth publication about comics. So that's, that's how we know each other and have stayed in touch all these years.
3: Yeah. We've stayed friends very, for a very long time. Yeah. No so, complaints. Oh, sorry, Mike.
0: So, no, 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 not at all. Cause I'm going to ask something silly, but I, I then have to ask, you know, in, in today's era where we are, are certainly much more sensitive. I also have to ask, were you among the last generation from our, our, our BU sketch comedy group, the slow children at play? Um, are the slow kids still a thing? Uh,
2: Believe it or not, they are. And it's, it's crazy to me that that's still going on. Um, But yeah, it's, um, so I also want, I wanted to mention Mike that, you know, not only did you and I come out of uh, the stage troupe at that time, but we actually had a very nerdy class when we were doing plays together, because there were at least uh, two DC Comics editors that we did plays with, and one uh, award winning writer uh, of comics who were all in State Troop at the same time uh, that yeah. we Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, well, you said two for, two for DC, but um, w- Willow created Ms. Marvel.
2: Yep. So Willow was in was in it with us. And then uh, Mark Doyle, who was a, uh, a DC editor. Oh, and really? then my, fr- cool. my friend and fellow uh, slow kid Jeremy Bent was uh, a DC editor for a while. And now he's a, a podcast uh, writer and comedian and all sorts of things.
0: That's Willow awesome. just blurbed my new book. Small world, fantastical. Yep. Um, so, you, uh, Justin, you mentioned a little while ago that you know there are there are some rules that are are handed to you, perhaps uh, emblazoned in um, in tablets handed down from George Lucas on high. Um, what are you know? What are the the basic tenets when when you're handed a Star Wars property in terms of what you can write and can't write and Whoever wrote the death of Chewbacca clearly didn't get the memo.
2: (laughs) Um, Well, it's funny. It it was more that there was a style guide that I was handed. um, And I I can't remember all the things on it, but it was really handy in terms of like, you know, terms that you can use terms that you can't use. Um, I don't remember any like hard and fast rules um, that I was, that I was handed down. Um, You know, I mean, basically, because I was writing Clone Wars books, the only rule I was given was you can't do anything that's going to contradict, you know, events that happen in the cartoon series, because the cartoon is is paramount. Or the movies, obviously, for that matter. But anything else, you know, if you can find a little unexplored corner, um, you know, you can kind of move in there and make it your own. and, And that's what I definitely tried to do.
3: that's
1: great
0: mission mission accomplished
1: yeah and mike for sure just as a side note i want to thank you for bringing up that very painful memory of the death of chewbacca and vector prime so i was not growing up i didn't know where to start with with legends i mean at that point there there wasn't legends in canon everything was just it was just novelizations so i i went and because it was the first book vector prime is the first book I went and picked up R.A. Sa- Salvatore who, who wrote the book. Amazing writer too, by the way. He did the novelization for Attack of the Clones and I just loved his writing style. But here I am reading it late at night and Chewbacca gets hit with the planet and I threw the book. I got It was such a visceral emotion that I threw the book across the room because I didn't know how to process the emotion at that time and I didn't pick it up till the next morning because I was like, I can't deal with this right now. They just killed Chewbacca, the first book that I buy, and they kill Chewbacca. Like, what have I done to myself? I did finish the book and I really enjoyed it. but um it did greatly anger me. So thanks for tearing my my heart out again, Mike. appreciate that. yeah,
0: you know, i'm I'm doing my best. And well, the only thing I hear though, every time you say that about, you know, they threw the planet at him is I, I hear, you know, as Justin was talking about earlier, the the robot chicken episode where, The 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 (laughs) emperor says, and then I threw the the (laughs)
1: senator. Well, yeah, he got crushed. He got crushed by a moon. He got crushed by a moon. It was very much. Yeah, it It happened.
0: Tony Stark will tell you.
2: Um, I I will say, and Alex touched on this before a little bit. One of the pleasures I think of writing Star Wars is that it is this like you know shared creation um, that you know people uh, create things and people you know later on can pick them up and 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 change them around and stuff. And I definitely, like when I was writing, like I said, I wanted to find an unexplored corner, but I wanted to be able to like play in that world. And I was very conscious of, of you know, wanting to sort of make my mark on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, what, like I said, the sort of the MacGuffin of the story, of, uh, Defenders of the Lost Temple, is that they're, trying to find a, a sith artifact and so i i literally just went wikipedia diving to find like an established sith artifact um and found one that was from the the knights of the old republic comic series that dark horse did so
3: yeah that's the fun it, like yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah totally so just those, and, those little hat an tips egg. and easter eggs yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: so that wasn't i because i was wondering was that like you going back to your love of marvel fandom and saying i'm gonna create you know the <laughs> sith infinity gauntlet um, or it was it, it. actually came from what was canon at the time.
2: Yeah. That was an ex- existing thing. And the fun of that was like, you know, like I said, like reading the, the history of this artifact online and knowing that like, oh, they're going to have to add another chapter at the end of it because of what I wrote. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, it's almost like a big like role-playing game that everyone, or not everyone, but, you know, a lucky few get to participate in and everyone has you know, these things that they can, uh, use and, and make a, make a change, make an impact.
0: So so Justin, you, you created something kind of new here, you know, in, in, in kind of taking a spin on, there's always, there's always the thing protecting the temple in, in, in Indiana Jones or elsewhere. And so you, you created the guard droid. Um, where did that come from? And being crazy Simpsons fans, I think we both wrote Simpsons spec scripts back in college. Um, all i could see was the golem from treehouse of horror <laughs> so i need i need i need the truth is that the iron giant is it the golem or where where did you where did you come up with the idea of a stone droid that that keeps people away from the from the treasure uh,
2: so first of all, Mike, I wrote a Futurama spec script.
0: Not a Simpsons script. <laughs> that, that, sorry, my bad. I I didn't did write a Sims. I, I wrote the Simpsons script. That's right. You were you were much cooler than me.
2: <laughs> um, so basically, two things. Like one was I needed this trap that, you know, it's it's to keep anyone but Jedi out. So I'm like, they need something that can be shut down only by someone who knows how to use the Force in a, a positive way. So. Um, in the story, you know, they have to kind of like, there's a mechanism that they can shut it off and, you know, a Sith would never think to do it because they would just be shooting it with lightning or whatever, but that, you know, that's the the solution. And then the other thing was, like I said, um, wanting to play, tip my hat a little bit to this continuity. So once I had the Sith artifact, which was the gauntlet of Cresh the Younger, like I said, it was from Knights of the Old Republic. And the last time it had been seen in continuity, it was with this, uh, Jedi, uh, named Lucien Dre who had gone to start his own like colony on a moon somewhere so my story is set on a moon that's named after Lucien Dre and the guard droid is actually in his image so it's a little easter egg for anyone who's uh, reading it for those like continuity uh, uh, tidbits
1: so Justin, one of the things that uh, I, I just want to ask you specifically, spending so much time in the Clone Wars, how did you feel specifically about the Bad Batch? Because your your clones very much mirror some of those qualities that they have. They have divergent personalities. They show a lot of personality versus almost what we're presented with in the animated. Um, what was your take on the Bad Batch? Did you enjoy it as someone who's worked in that universe? who's Who's drawn these clones out specifically? You know what was your take on that narrative of these clones who have these interesting emotions and different abilities and whatnot?
2: So full disclosure, I have not seen the Bad Batch. <laughs> like, Al- like Alex, I also have two kids and a uh, full time job, and, and time is limited. limited. Time is limited. I understand so I, I, that. I, all right, <laughs> I will say, um, you know, when I saw the announcement of it, I was like, oh boy, I hope they use uh, some of my characters, but they didn't, obviously. <laughs> not um, yet.
4: But not yet. You
2: know, not yet. Um, glitch. But, yeah, but you know, like you said, there is this sort of divide of you know clones. Like, are they how independent are they? How free thinking are they? And I, to get around that a little bit, like, there's an implication in the story that these four uh, clone troopers were picked for this mission because they're maybe not like the top of the line clone troopers. <laughs> so, you know, glitch obviously is way out there. But you know, even the rest of them you know, there's, they're not like the, the, the best clone troopers. So I was able to sort of play around with giving them a little bit more individuality and a little bit more personality. And my excuse for that is, well, you know, these are the ones that they didn't want to send to the front line. So they sent them off on this weird mission to uh, to hunt for artifacts.
4: I've got a question and it's kind of my final question, honestly, for the both of you. And I'd like to start with Alex is, is having been part of this process, giving you, Any more of an appreciation for when others go through this same process, for example, Star Wars visions that just came out, all these anime companies were able to get their niche their tell their story within their corner of the galaxy, name their planets, everything else is the process you went through. Has that given you any more appreciation for something when somebody else tries to do the same thing?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's a different kind of puzzle than, you know, when I write one of my own books, I'm sitting and looking at the blank page and pretty much anything goes. I'm the ultimate decider. But when you're playing in a shared universe, um, you're really, like Justin was saying, you're fine. You're kind of dusting off rocks and trying to find little shiny things that you can use and um, make your own and be additive. Like, and you do it with the knowledge that you're not going to be able to control things after your story's done. You know, somebody can pick up and write another Poe novel and it could change some of the things I thought would happen next. And that's okay. That's, that's what happens when you play in like this shared sandbox. So really, I think I, I do admire what people can do, especially when your voice comes through when you're doing this kind of shared universe stuff, when you can read something and say, Oh wow, that's different. Or that feels tonally like Star Wars, but it also feels like this person's voice. So I think that's, that's what you want to do. And when I set out to write the book, I wanted it to feel, you know, I wanted it to harken back to like a great heist novel or a great crime adventure. Um, but also, I wanted it to feel big. I wanted it to feel like a movie. I wanted people reading it to feel like they were watching something worthy of a film, you know, like to be important enough. Um, and so I think we all strive for that. And that's, that's part of the fun.
4: Justin, same question. Have you seen a, a greater appreciation for things that have come after being involved in that process?
2: yeah, absolutely. and And to me, you know it all comes down to what you as a creator can bring to the story, because you know even though you're you're you haven't created this universe, you haven't created you know all of the characters necessarily, if there has to be something that is you and at your core that you're you know wanting to tell in this story. Otherwise, it's not it's not going to be interesting. Like Alex's story is not about you know Poe becoming a spice runner. It's about like he was saying this kid who, you know, struggles with these big emotions and makes poor decisions because of it. Um, you know, and that's it's a it's a personal story. Um, my uh, Defenders of the Lost Temple is very much about uh, these two characters, um, Glitch and uh, Renax Omani, who's the Padawan, who both feel out of place in their in their groups Um, they both you know worry that maybe they're um, you know not how they're supposed to be and again because I was writing for kids that's such a kid thing that you you have to worry about so it really it's about that emotional core and it's really interesting to see how you know all these different writers you know working within the same basic framework of, you know, a a literal galaxy of stories, but everyone has their own touch that they bring to it. And I think that's always the most interesting thing to look at when you're looking at these shared universe uh, stories. Justin, can you talk about the artists, the art team? Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, comics are a visual medium.
3: (laughs) I'm not not trying to put you on the spot, but I just want to hear about them.
2: Yeah. Um, So, for defenders of the lost temple i was very fortunate to work with uh, an artist named ben bates who's extremely talented yeah. um it was actually my second time working with him he had done um a short story in uh the shoot first universe the one that i was uh my other comic i was talking about uh for at the time it was my space star course presents to give you an idea of oh, how wow. far back we're talking but like, he has like he has an incredible uh, dynamic and animated style. And, you know, it, it, he definitely, you know, brought a ton to, uh, to that book.
1: Mark, is there something else you want to I add? Do, to I do. I just, I have one more. Wire? I do. I have one more gentleman. Fi- uh, the final thing I would ask is if you could revisit the Star Wars universe and write one more story, what would it be? What would be on your wish list?
3: Well, I do have a short coming up in the uh, the Jedi Sith Anthology that's coming out that they just announced. I can't say who I'm writing. Um, but if I did get to write another novel length, you know, po, not counting Poe, uh, I'd love to do like a young YA or Poe, Freefall, Poe dameron and Freefall type story with Obi Wan.
1: Nice. I think
3: that would be cool. I think it would be neat to, when we meet him, he's so established and already kind of, you know, he's he's Obi-Wan. We know him already. And even when we see him in the prequels, he's, he's pretty well on his way. I'd love to kind of get a little bit into the emotional stuff under the surface there. Hello there.
1: <laughs> Justin, how about <laughs> you returning to the Star Wars universe?
2: So for me, one of the things that I'm most proud about from Defenders of the Lost Temple is I have uh, Renax, the Padawan sort of express this emotion of um, ambivalence about the Jedi Order and the fact that they sort of recruit these very young kids and then suddenly a few years later they're fighting in a war and what's up with that? I feel feel like (laughs) the Jedi Order is... There's a lot to be explored about how flawed it was and my big hope for uh, Rise of Skywalker was that they would face that head-on, that they would take sort of the strands that were dropped in last Jedi and pick that up and say, okay, we're going to, instead of rebuilding the Jedi order, we're going to make something better. And there's the implication that that might be happening, but they didn't really go too far into it. So I would love to pick up with Ray Skywalker and see what does it look like to build a better Jedi order.
1: That's awesome. I'm there for that. Yeah. Same, same question for,
0: uh, for my, my fellow Jedi council members here. So Brian, Mark, um I know you're going to fight over writing the Broomboy novel but like other than that who uh who would you want to be writing a story for in the in the Star Wars universe
1: I it's it's hard for ahead. me Go ahead Bri
0: go ahead I I mean I love Ahsoka Tano but I feel like
4: that's Dave Filoni's girl to do with what he would like to so honestly they hinted at it um very very similar to what Justin was talking about with with Glitch and Is he Force-sensitive or leave it ambiguous? I want to get definitive proof, and we kind of get it. I mean, I don't think it's canon, but in the Star Wars Lego holiday special, like Ray's training Finn. I want to continue the story of Finn. And what happens with, is he actually Force-sensitive? Is that what he was trying to tell Ray when they were in the sand? I don't, I I just, I I need that question answered. I would love to continue the story of Finn.
1: Uh, I mean, mine is cliche. I've said that I would be so... I- inauthentic if I didn't say this because Mike, you you know that, that period where Luke is establishing that Jedi Order like prior to his, his appearance again in The Last Jedi, you know how I cried like a baby seeing Luke wielding that power and that period of, of him at his zenith and seeing him as this powerful Jedi. I need more of that and Brian, I know that you don't want it to be Sebastian Stan. I can appreciate that. But to me, that's a period that that was my childhood hero. I really want to see the story of a powerful Luke Skywalker reassembling and failing at reassembling that Jedi Order and where he came up short and duplicated the mistakes of his masters again. That is a great, and I'm hopeful that we're going to get that because that's what falls in what they're now calling the Mandoverse. So there's a very good chance that I may get that but i would selfishly write in that period
0: i love those answers
1: so i'm sorry i know that's cliche but i'm sorry
0: you're not off the hook like oh i'm not off the hook i i i struggle with this because there are so many of them but i not to pull too many you know they've they've started to write these already um and i don't mean to pull like kind of the flip side of the, the coin from mark there but I really would love to know what Leia's Jedi training was. Yes, and how she balanced that out because in Rise of Skywalker, expectedly we see her kick Luke's butt. Um, we know that she can apparently breathe in space and fly like Mary Poppins. So what She's Mary what Poppins, does, y'all. She's Mary Poppins, y'all. Like how how does that come about? She's clearly if you were if you were to have gone backward in time and said who's going to be the dominant warrior in the family they would have trained her instead of luke so i i love the idea of understanding how does she master the force how does she use it versus not use it when she's being a diplomat like is she jedi mind-tricking senators she doesn't want to deal with is she having to hold herself back from doing that because that's pretty dark sidey um And why doesn't she train anyone? So she, you know, when it comes to training uh, Ben, they, they send him off to Luke's Academy and she doesn't take a Padawan until she gets Ray or did she? I don't know. I, I, I think, I think her Jedi journey um, is rife with potential conflict and really interesting, fun things. I would love to see what happens with her training. So that's, that's, that's if the universe can hear us, that's, you know, please send, send, send me the brief that, that, that you sent to, uh, to Justin and Alex. Um, so, fellas, we're so thankful for the time you spent with us real quick before we bolt. Um, uh, Alex, you started to say something about where your stuff's going to pop up next. But do either of you guys have anything that you want to plug anything that that our uh, our folks should keep an eye out for or connect with you on the socials?
3: Uh, sure. Uh, my website's alexsegura.com. You can find me on Twitter at alex underscore segura. My next book, Secret Identity, comes out in March from Flatiron Books, and it's a murder mystery set in comic books in the 70s in New York, and it follows um, a Cuban-American woman named Carmen Valdez who moves up to New York to pursue her dream to write in comics, and she gets a gig at a third-rate publisher called Triumph Comics, but is unable to crack that wall and is unable to get an opportunity to write. Her boss just doesn't let her have the chance. So she collaborates with a colleague who basically says, hey, I have to launch this new series. I know you want to write. Why don't you write anonymously and eventually we'll get you credit. And they create this new character called the Legendary Lynx. It becomes a hit and then her colleague is murdered. So she has to basically figure out what happened to her friend, solve that murder, but also do it so she can reclaim this character and, you know, interspersed between the prose chapters are actual comic book sequences. So you're, you know, drawn graphic novel sequences. So you're reading about her creating this character and then you're reading the comics involving the character as you, as you go. And it's a, it's a fun, it's fun. Sandy Gerald's the artist on the comic sequences. And, uh, it's a fun meta experience, I think. And, and I'm keeping busy with a bunch of other stuff too, but that's the big one for now.
4: That seems to be your style. I loved those checking in with Kestamaran and Trune. I really like those those side Mm. side mission side chapters when you're when you're in the middle of the drama of the story and we just stop and we go and check in at another spot in the galaxy. Really well done. I'm excited. Oh good. Oh yeah. And I have a I have a comic book with NPR, which sounds
3: bizarre, but um their business show Planet Money did a whole feature about comic books and how they're made and they're making one, so I'm writing it, and Jamal Eichel's drawing it, and it's based on this public domain character called Microface, who has audio powers, but that's coming out probably early next year.
0: That, that's amazing. Amazing. And the character's decibel level probably never gets above this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, do not sleep on
2: Alex's
3: Pete Fernandez mysteries either. Oh, thank you. All five books are fantastic. Thank you, Justin. You've And Justin's been a beta reader for all of them, so he got to read them when they were not fantastic.
1: <laughs> Alex, do you have any interest in starting a true crime podcast like uh, a la Only Murders in the Building with us? Because I feel <laughs> like I could pull off a good Selena Gomez of the group. I feel like I could I could fill that niche for us. Uh, you
4: have an idiot to be Martin Short if you need. <laughs> all right, let's talk off, off the recording.
0: <laughs> I'll learn the banjo if that means I get to be Steve Martin. <laughs> um Justin, how about you, my friend? What's what's exciting in your world? So you can
2: find me on Twitter at Justin Acklin uh, A-C-L-I-N. Um right now I am working on a middle grade graphic novel, uh, a fantasy book that was very much inspired by my experience of writing these two Star Wars books and seeing how it reached Kids and you know, was important to kids and made me want to write for that audience again. and I can't wait capture, to read it, yeah, and kind of capture some of the same, you know, heart and emotion that I was able to do with the Star Wars book. So, if you are a fan of uh, Defenders of the Lost Temple, then you should, I, I can't wait for you to read this one. We, uh, right now I'm working with a very talented artist. Um, I don't know if I can say her name yet, but. Uh, so we've we've got uh, art being made. We're going to be uh, shopping around to publishers very soon uh, with my my literary agency. So very exciting. Uh, keep an eye on my Twitter at Justin Ackland for more updates on that.
0: Awesome, brilliant, Justin, Alex. Thank you both so much for being our guests. Mark, Brian, pleasure as always. Um, and for uh, those of you listening, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please. Uh, Like, share, subscribe, smash that button, as all of our kids would say. um, And as always, may the force be with you.
1: Always. Always.